0: everybody i'm chad bokelman i'm dan kurtzki
1: and i'm mark marble and this is the lantern cast episode 438
0: yeah our our big crossover with mosaic comics oh my god it's welcome on welcome to the show it's 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 dan
1: kurtz who is this jabroni who is this guy (laughs)
2: Listen, it's this is how you know it's starting to be summer. We're we're doing unnecessary crossovers. We're gonna rope in a few other channels and podcasts that you don't actually need to watch or listen to, but we tell you they might be vaguely important, so you do anyway. And by the end, one of the one of these people may die. Who knows? Worlds will change.
0: Our summer crossover event. Uh, <laughs> oh man, how many uh, episodes will this one encompass? Uh, <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, uh, so tonight we are talking about Green Lantern issue number three, titled Behind Enemy Lines. This is the third in the installment of the, I guess we're, what are we calling this, the uh, Infinite Frontier era of DC uh, with uh, Thorne, Rainey, Santucci, and Ative, Uh doing things over here it's a it's our first issue without dexter soy on the art so we've already got a big art change uh but there's a little bit of a tonal shift here too so mark you want to get into it no but that is my job for the evening <laughs> oh boy
1: why do i feel like i know why you brought me on for this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh no because let's let's not forget we had decided you were you and i had decided you were coming on last week long before this issue ever came out <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, true. So, all I had was instinct about what I would feel about this issue. I had no concrete evidence up until yesterday. <laughs> oh god. All right. So, we'll deal with the tone. I think I kind of I think I know where Chad was going with the tonal shift at least partially in this. But let's just take it from 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 take it from the top if we will. So, we have this weird classroom setting, like a, like like a high school setting which you knew or, or you know automatically is not real because John Stewart didn't go to high school with Guy Gardner and and Nort and the rest and all the rest of these lantern esque people. Stell looks cool like in that in his jersey though and his jacket. So we have this alien looking teacher kind of interrogating. that jo- no, well that's a strong word, but she kind of she's she's questioning John and pe- playing the teacher role here. And John is he's pretty quick on the uptake here, realizing this doesn't make any sense and this is not. He remembers high school. This isn't it. So she's like, okay, if dreams of childhood don't put you at ease. Let's go to a, some, something to a, a closer moment. And I want to touch about this scene too, but I, I will do it at the end that we get a view on what seemingly was going on with the, with the lanterns right before, you know, the central power power battery got blown up real good at the end of last issue. This also answers finally the question, even though Chad and I kind of hit the nail on the head here about whether the ship they were building was really a construct ship or whether it was actually phys- being physically made by Green Lanterns using their rings. And that's where we get, you know, it becomes clear that, yes, they were using their rings to actually f- physically make the ship. And there are, they were all, they were putting the finishing touches on it right when the, essentially when the, the central power battery goes kablooey, John Stewart's caught out in space and he gets saved by, what's his name here? Uh, and I wrote this down, but I'm not looking at my notes. I, Amanita, the Mushroom Lantern. Who premiered back in the with Gerard Jones run? I think issue I had that too. Issue issue twenty, I believe, of the Gerard Jones run. But obviously he's able to. We get the we get the gist that he's able to make a like a cocoon around people. That's part of his mushroom-like powers. <laughs> and that's that's supposedly how Jon Stewart survives being in space. So we don't get a whole lot of detail about a lot of things here. Cosmology lesson is the actual technical inside uh cover inside issue title of this story after john basically after he's choking gasping for air and amanita is coming close to john then we have another scene where it's another shift where he's on the beach with kat matui and she re- references the fact that he's a world builder and he's the guardian of this world which i'm going to assume is a is a mosaic reference that's safe to, probably the guess dan oh yes yes and more but we'll yes, get to that yes uh I do like the fact that once again, John's quick on the uptake. He realizes there's no way this is Katma. Cot- so he tries to choke her. And of course, while he's choking her, then uh, the mysterious narrator here basically changes to uh, fatality. That doesn't really work either. So that's a h- horrible looking fatality. I would never in a million years have guessed that's who it was supposed to be without without, throat, without name dropping. Then John wakes up and we find out that John, you know, uh, the chick who's doing all this to him is, is Sakari. And basically she has these, she has these, uh, spines or her, they look more like tendrils to us, her hair. She connects to the back of John's head essentially. And she's able to get into John's head, read his thoughts, obviously manipulate his thoughts and his memories. And also she's able to implant things too, which is why he's able to know her name and some, you know, some terms and language and lingo on the planet that they're on, which turns out to be Sergalon. I didn't, does Sergalan mean anything? Because I looked for it, I didn't. I'm on, qu- on a quick look, I didn't see any references to it. Not that I was able to find. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, think so. She has uh, there's a daughter here of uh, Sakari, who seems to be really, you know, she's kind of like interested in John. I do like the fact that at some point it's like they it's like they 3D print some kind of pseudo Green Lantern uniform. Which on upon first reading, I didn't catch that panel, so I didn't have. So when he was wearing that uniform at the end, it's like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> but at least that's not a mistake. So about 145 days later on this friggin' planet, John gets awoken by the daughter and they come out and there's this alien ship, which is a a kanori ship, which is a tie to the dark star time. I believe of John Stewart and John Stewart puts on the fake green lantern 3d printed uniform, packing a gun. He goes out there to out macho the uh, Kenori and basically says, Hey, it's like uh, you better leave or there's going to be consequences. The Kanori doesn't really care. And he goes, ah, I'll t- today, I'll take the consequences. John kind of gets fried. We don't necessarily see why or he's getting or how, how he's getting fried. We just get a panel of him getting fried and he's and he's falling back down. And uh, the kanori leader goes, now go get me that ring. And that ends the first part is the first part of this issue, because one of the one of the shifts in this book, which obviously will carry over at least until next issue. And we we'll kind of suspect several more that there's two actual stories in this. In this issue, they're being split. You got the John Stewart story, and then you got pretty much the Joe story. And Joe's on Oa, oh, uh, dealing with the post central battery being blown up. We get a few flash, flashes of some lanterns that have been damaged in or, that, are, that are ringless. We do get a nice—that's Lop fan on the raft, right? Yep. Yep. And uh we assume Arisia floating in space. Are these Dominators? Some yeah, of. Yeah,
2: there's there's a few. I think one of. Uh... There's a blue one walking around who's kind of like their uh, their their representative on the United Plants Council. Yeah, they're counselors.
1: I thought they were dominators because it? It, I recognize them from their parallax-like teeth for the most part. But yeah, but always a always a disaster. There's there's they're dealing with injured lanterns. A lot of the rings seemingly blew up when the central power battery went off too. No signs of the guardians, which I'm sure is convenient. We have no signs, one way or the other, of the guardians. Joe, well, that's before we get before I get to this part. We have Simon, who basically there, it's like one cyborg wasn't enough. Now we have Simon Bass cyborg because while he's healing from being blow, from his issues dealing with the central power battery blowing up that basically he's got like a cyborg arm and everything else, and he's able to man- manipulate it. That's something, I suppose. And then you have, uh, you got Joe trying to deal with Kelly. Kelly's kind of, K- Kelly's all bummed out about everything. And then for some reason, she's really taken with Simon, though they spent like five minutes together before everything went to hell. And she, you know, Kelly's all like, Joe's trying to give her a pep talk. And it's like, I'm going to need, you I'm going to need you. We're like the only lanterns left with rings. It's a gauntlet. Yes, it's a gauntlet. Kelly's more interested in Simon. Joe takes it upon herself pretty much to, Send out like these updating and a distress call and a, and a rescue beacon to all the Green Lanterns out there. Though I do find it interesting, she acknowledges that nobody's gonna know who she is. Basically, uh, your instinct might be like, might be to come here, but don't. Basically, uh, whoever did this is they're kind of like judging and watching to see how, what's gonna happen next on Oa. So basically, if something happens to me and and I go and I go down, the communications go down, then you'll know what to do. And you get a little flash panel of how apparently as he's listening to all the stuff from Joe. And that's your bare basic wrap-up of both stories in this book. Uh, the one thing, before we break it down more, the one thing I wanted to say, it's kind of interesting. Now, again, this could be done on purpose, about when we see what was going on with the lanterns, before, in space, with John, before the power battery went to hell. But it's interesting, if we're supposed to take this as the truth, it is interesting that it's sandwiched around two things that are clearly not the truth. So it, it would be, it's really hard to assume this is exactly how things went down because you have two you have two two of the three two to three pieces of evidence with uh but Sak- sakari they playing with john's head are false memories and altered memories but i thought that was interesting but, but again but maybe that maybe this isn't we're not really supposed to take this as fa- on face value as being 100 percent accurate
0: yeah i had one bit of a correction i think uh I, th- I think the ship that they used to get to this uh, section of space um, was actually a construct made by all thousands of the Lanterns. But after they arrived, they started building... The oh, lighthouse. I
1: right, the Sector House. The yeah. Sector House,
0: you're right, I'm sorry. Yeah, so they're two different things.
2: Yeah, and, this, and the Sector House, which they're calling the Lighthouse, is not a construct. They're making it out, out right. of, like... I think they, they just said, like, mundane materials, whether that means they brought materials with them or they are using local materials they mined. But uh, basically, it's just so they, they can establish, like, OK, this thing is permanently here, rings or no
1: rings. Right. And I, yeah. and I did catch that and that's that's that was stupid on my part because i did catch that the second time around that they were that they were were working on the sector house but
0: and it's and it's a nice bit of you know john Stewart history reference because he talks about i've been wanting to redesign the the sector houses for a long time now this gives me the opportunity to do that so he then calls it you know the lighthouse which is supposedly i guess in some way different from a sector house in terms of functionality maybe i mean well i just like the I love the fact that
2: we know now it's out there, which means like a lot of, a lot of this, like we're seeing once John wakes up, he's essentially starting over with nothing. And a cool aspect of this is that, that before the rings went offline, all of the quest lanterns were scattered. And now they've had about six months or so to, to gather resources and make connections and if and when john can reconvene with any of them he will be able to use those resources and also there is this lighthouse out there who has who knows what in it that could also help so it's like it there's like lots of like pockets of of potential resources aid and plot twists or whatever you want to call it like waiting out there in space
0: no. Uh, another thing I sort of noticed in here, in his, in his classroom scene, I've got the digital. I haven't yet picked up my print version. I've zoomed in as far as I can. You can actually read some of this stuff on this little space calendar, and it just literally says the word gibberish a bunch of times in different spots. Like gibberish uh, may be a OK. Who knows? This is what I've got. Cause yup, nah, no way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of gibberish uh, stuff in there. I don't know. Maybe that's lyrics or something. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. And then it's interesting. Like it seems like maybe some of the stuff on this poster in the background is maybe supposed to identify John in some way. Because it says builder, teacher, Green Lantern, uh, guardian, librarian, explorer, things like that. But they have mad scientists, too. Yeah, it does. So, you know, I mean, maybe it's, those are just there for ABCD, but like maybe they're there to try and describe John in some way.
1: Or um, everybody in the classroom.
0: True. But those are the only things in terms of like looking around in the background that I notice. Obviously, there are other lanterns we notice, and I guess we could maybe add to the defunct list, but uh, one of them looks like it might be Voz. So that might ask the answer the question. Uh, Maybe you guys can tell me if I'm crazy, but uh, it's hard to tell with this art. But uh, when they're setting up the lighthouse and John says in that panel, I've been itching to redesign the sector house for years. The lantern behind Salek's head. I think that's Vaz based on this art style. It's hard to tell. Maybe.
1: uh,
2: Directly behind him. Behind his head. It looks like he could be made of clay
1: almost, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, it could be made of clay, but because of this art style, maybe that's just distant fur, like who the hell knows. I mean, we know he's not
2: assigned to the prisons anymore, so he could be out there. Yeah, he could be, so.
0: Um, but otherwise, yeah, um, you mentioned some of the other stuff with uh, with uh, Rotlap Fan and Aresia and, and the other lanterns that... Uh, Show up stranded out in the ether, hey,
2: i I was trying to figure this out. Can Aresia like can her people survive
0: in space? Um, I don't think so, right? I feel like we've seen this before because she wasn't she part of the corpse mission? she like they found
2: her, yeah, like they found her during that storyline, but it was like an extra because they didn't know she was alive. like they 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 did the uh, they pulled a Superman where they're like, oh, she was. Her people go into a healing coma.
0: Yeah, maybe that's it.
1: Yeah, maybe she can survive in space, but go into like sort of shutdown mode. But when she died, when she was in that coma, she didn't die in space, though, did she? The I don't one. think so. But no, that was yeah, well. yeah. I'm trying to remember. Like, who killed her? Was it Major Force who killed her? Somebody killed. Somebody killed. Somebody killed. Supposedly killed her. When we still never really got a real explanation for how she ended up with Cyborg Superman and all the Lost Lanterns, anyway. But yeah but yeah i don't think she can serve i don't think on her own she could survive in space yeah it was major force
2: i mean she'll i think i think she'll be fine but it was i was just looking at that like that's the only one where i'm like huh what are hmm i mean isamot's wearing a weird harness he doesn't usually wear so he's probably okay Aresia, i don't know <laughs> I'm
0: confident they're not going to kill her but still but still it's like it's kind of a huh every time I see like somebody uh acting in sort of like officious capacity in terms of like these uh, dominators uh who are representing the the united planets it reminds me of the freaking uh the
1: trade federation in star wars the prequels <laughs> which is interesting because I have a because uh, I do have a star wars analogy to make about actually the 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 joe part of this um so what did everybody think uh
0: so i mean i might as well i might as well say it uh i as i thought i did not enjoy the art shift um i'm just not a fan of tom Rainey's style and i can now i can start kind of pointing out a bit of maybe why um you guys notice how big the heads on some of his characters look yeah yeah that that really sets off my not really excited about this sort of a thing. Um, some of the stances look a little interesting or wooden to me in some way, especially that, m- that moment. Uh, well, rather uh, to point out what I'm referring to, uh, when she says "Welcome to Sergilon, that stance right there, the way she's drawn, her positioning there. Uh, I don't know. That that pose just looks very uh, unnatural. Um, I don't know. there's some inconsistency in facial expressions and it's I don't I don't want to say cartoony but it's not as realistic as I would like but then there's also just straight up artistic moments that maybe you could consider wrong like uh the moment on the page where he's sharing in that dream sequence with Katma and she's coming out of the ocean that second panel dude's left nipple is under his armpit almost like you know just in terms of just some of the stuff that is done art wise, like that's, that's probably like a a mistake. But then the panel right after that, when she squished up against his back, that looks really strange to me. But again, like I said, all of this stuff is stuff that Tom Rainey has done before in other issues and other comics that he's worked on. So it's a style preference for me rather than anything that he's maybe technically artistically doing wrong. But yeah, definitely. It definitely threw me off. Um, And then of course, you know, there's a little bit of a difference here. In Now, Mark, when we were talking online about this, Mark, you compared sort of the storytelling here to sort of Morrison-esque back and forth. When I read it, I it's, well, at least a John Stewart part where he was kind of tripping back and forth between reality. I actually more thought of it as uh, that moment in the, the Captain Marvel movie when the Skrulls uh, have her in their custody and they're sort of like – day tripping through her memories at various moments and like, okay, uh, I'm not getting any information here. Let's go to another memory. Like that whole sequence of events. That's sort of what this reminded me of.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is a, there, there is, there absolutely is a similarity to that. I just, when I first, when I, I just meant when I first read it, it was the fact that you kind of dropped into something, you don't know what's going on and you're shifting and you're shifting and you're shifting from moment to moment. You know, what you're seeing isn't real, which is why it makes that that center part about whether this is exactly how things went down when the core when the core got wiped out how valid that is because everything around it is bullshit. But it just, it took, once I sat down and read it again, at least I understood what was going on, but I just meant it was certainly nonlinear storytelling. And that just jokingly made me think, Hey, this is, it's kind of (laughs) like, it's kind of like Thorne snuck out of the room and, and, and then uh Morrison came in and was like, I can't write a whole script, but I have ten minutes to play around with this. Let's see what I can do. Yeah, and the only other side of this
0: that I have to say commentary was, and I'm sure Dan Dan's thoughts and stuff like that will give us more to chew on and more for me to say, but like the as much as I didn't like the art on the first half, I felt like at least there was a lot of progression here in terms of the story of where we're going, what kind of you know, where we're headed with this particular plot. Whereas with the Joe stuff. It felt like just pure setup. We're setting up the mystery. We're setting up what she needs to solve. Uh, we're setting up who the players are. Uh, message has gone out to Hal. So maybe that teases a little bit that moment we saw between her and him and the future state issues, things like that. But by and large, that it really only confirms what we know, that, okay, the other Lanterns lost power and some of them were stranded out there, blah, blah, blah. Kelly and Joe are the only ones with working rings in some capacity or another, gauntlets, whatever the hell, um, for various reasons because of their uniqueness. And then we know that Hal is still active because of the uniqueness of his ring. Um, so it's just like, I didn't really feel a lot of forward progression there, just kind of pure setup for, okay, here are the players now on this side of the coin, and next issue, then we'll get more. Whereas we got sort of a catch-up in this first story of where these people who were on Quest are at, and but then we also sort of progressed the story a little bit with John in terms of setting up some new characters, giving us kind of where he's been at what he's working through the sort of life he's setting up his his thoughts his plans or whatever um all of that so um i don't know i just felt like you know i didn't enjoy the i enjoyed the art in one section over the other but i actually enjoyed the writing in the section i didn't like the art in and vice
1: versa the big issue and this is where i'll just go straight into my star wars analogy that the big problem the problem with uh, even though they kind of address the iron, the irony in this. And when Joe's sending out her, her trying to recap and letting people know what's going on, it's like, she makes it clear that, Hey, cause like none of you are going to know who I am, <laughs> which is part of the problem, which is, which is if, if all your rings just go down and you can't contract, you can't con. Attack the Guardians. You have no way of knowing what's going on, but all of a sudden you get this distress beacon from some from somebody you don't know. How likely is it are you gonna really take that to heart and believe believe that person, especially when it's a lantern you've never friggin' heard of? <laughs> and so it reminds me it reminded me of at at the end of towards the end of Revenge of the Sith when they when they had configured the, the beacon at the Jedi Temple to send out a false signal to to call all the any Jedi that didn't get wiped out in Order 66 to tell them the war was over to come on home. Coruscant so they could be wiped out and that's what Obi-Wan and Yoda fixed to actually to tell the Jedi to go into hiding but that's what it kind of reminded me of that it'd be really easy to not necessarily take that as, you know but take it with a grain of salt because it's like we have no idea who you are you may not even be a real Green Lantern so how are we how are we really necessarily and why and why is your ring functioning then you know for all these people I mean she gives a half a half ass basic explanation when she's talking to the Dominators because we know from reading far sector why her ring it op, how, why it still functions and why it operates diff, it's still op, operational but the green lantern Corps wouldn't know that they would have no idea who the hell she is so i thought that was that they kind of like i said they address it by make by making she acknowledge it acknowledges the obvious but i thought that was it would be interesting if there were some people that would just not necessarily be so fast to uh and again, how many people are actually going to get a message if their rings are not functional anyway?
2: It's funny, I wouldn't have equated the United Planets in this case to being like the Senate from Star Wars, because the United Planets seem to actually be trying to do something that will help somebody. Because <laughs> like they're sending out, they're like organizing search and rescue teams based on the assignments given out to all the, all the Lanterns, like, what was it, 13 hours before the battery exploded. So they have an approximate at least starting point for where to find all of them and find out who, if any, are still alive. Which, hey, that's nice. And it's a good excuse for Joe to not completely blow off these council members. But, you know, with all the people, like, lost on the other side of this impossible barrier and drifting through space without a protection, I kind of feel the most sorry for Joe because she she's basically being forced into like a bureaucratic government job because it's, there's literally nobody left. True.
0: <laughs> yeah, she sort of so sort of does take on the mantle of representing Oa for the UP.
1: Thus, it counts their label they keep throwing at her. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. uh, but I I agree I agree with
2: you guys about the art. Like I don't think it's the, I wouldn't even necessarily call it bad. Like I'm so I'm so divided on it because I like. I kind of like the exact over-exaggerated cartooniness of it. Sometimes the problem is it's not consistent, like from panel to panel and sometimes characters within the same panel. Like Chad, you gave the example of, um, you know, the welcome to Sergilon spread where um, uh, 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 I forgot her name. Sakari Sakari in there looks kind of awkward and weird, but right next to her, John looks perfectly fine. And you, it, it's it's a lack of consistency overall overall to the artwork. You know, you know the like you'll have a panel with excellent faces next to a panel where it looks like the the mouth kind of slid up a little bit somehow. Like it's weird, and yeah. I don't remember it being this extreme in Future State, but maybe that's it's it was, and I'm just not remembering. But, yeah, no, I mean,
1: I... He draws Kelly, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, she... Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> a, that's a different artist. That's Santucci on... Oh, you're right. That was Santucci. I'm sorry, Yeah. You're right. Tom Rainey's doing the first half. Santucci's taking over the second half. I think with this, I'm so, like,
2: I'm so fixated on the plot that I'm just kind of giving the visuals more of a pass than maybe I should. But... Yeah, I wish it was better. I don't necessarily wish it was a different artist, artist because when when he does something right, it looks good to me. But I just wish it was consistent.
0: Is this the is, this is the woman that he with Future State, right? No.
2: So uh, she is the mother of the per, of the uh. his team member from Future State. So Ilo, the kid, there grows up to be like cuz I uh, what was it Jeffrey Thorne confirmed on Twitter that future state green lantern takes place 14 years in the future yeah well that that is that person is a child today gotcha which hey let's talk about time for a second because that is like the theme of this issue so john wakes up he's been out long enough to for his facial hair and hair hair to grow in and then on top of that, he's been stuck there for 145 days. And on t- in addition to that, so they have this co- this kind of throwaway conversation. Actually, this is something that annoys me because they did that thing lots of lots of like TV shows and movies do, where you see a, an ongoing conversation happening across like way too much time, where like they day ten it started and then they're still having on day 30 or day 30 and day 50. It's like, this is, this is, they're treating it like they w- walked from one room to another, to another, but it's been months. <laughs> um, But they're talking about the fact that, you know, where th- they live way out here, they've never heard of the guardians or the green lantern corn. And, and at first you think, well, okay, they live on a really out of the way place. There's no real long-term commu- long-range communications or ships or whatever, so they could conceivably not have heard of of the lanterns, whatever. But they they're talking about events like like historical events that happened within this barrier that took place a hundred years ago. Like I think they call it the, like the barrier wars or something. Yeah, it took place hundred cycles back, and John even comments on it. That's weird. The Guardian said this barrier went up like a couple weeks ago. And that says one of three things is true. Either A, the Guardians are lying, which I'm sure they are, just probably not about this. B, this nice lady and her kid are lying, which I don't really think they are. Or C, nobody's lying, and time moves faster inside that that barrier. And the thing about that is that if the last one is true, future state Green Lantern starts making more sense. Because the weird thing about that that whole anthology thing was that Jon Stewart's story was very blatantly taking place way later, way years down the line. We now know it's 14 years. But every other story in that book seemed like it was either happening in the present or like really close to it. And at the time, I'm, I just wrote it off as, oh, it's an anthology. It's being written by a bunch of people. Mistakes were made. I think it's actually going to be A pretty important plot point because if like if if at least a hundred years have passed inside that barrier in the next couple weeks 14 years could pass for john in here and it could be less than a year outside in the normal dc universe which like i don't know my mind starts spinning with, with with like questions like okay we still don't know who built this barrier or why but my immediate thought is well what what could somebody be trying to make that would normally take a super long time so they so they create this essentially can bubble of time that is accelerated i don't have any answers for this but i just i love like i i i just love the idea that they just sort of like put in there and if you didn't pay, if you didn't like grab onto those two panels it doesn't even really come up again and then like looking back through like the like how the issue started like there's there's so many echoes of old stories in this issue in this whole se- in this whole series so far like the kunari the kunari raiders tying back to the dark stars and and like oh hey john was a dark star for a long time when was he a dark star well he was a dark star after the last time the central battery exploded or he's he we're getting uh a dream like like a whole like disjointed dream of him being a kid in high school again and how that's meshing together with with his present like like everything that's going on with him in this issue is about the flow of time right down to like the way that we're jumping back and forth and back again and forth further again, instead of just giving one single linear explanation for the series of events. Uh, we also get to see Kenzie, the, uh, the green lantern who was in future state, helping him out, commanding that ship. Um, Like, a a feeling I get from this book more, like, more strongly the more issues I read is that we're getting this mix of introducing new ideas, plus calling back old ideas that, that are largely forgotten and kind of mushing them together in such a way that it feels like both the old and the new are going to be really important to where things go. And the thing that makes me feel that the strongest is the, the memory of going to the beach with Katma. Because this, so the fact that she is there and the fact that there's some some weird yellow architecture in the background and the fact that she calls this a staycation because he's the guardian of this world. Like this, this is a memory of something that happened on Oa after the conclusion of the Green Lantern Mosaic series. We have never seen anything in that setting after that series ended. It's just issue 18 of that book came out. It was done. Then Emerald Twilight happened. Nobody mentioned that, hey, there's a whole cornucopia of cities over the horizon. Then flash forward to, to zero hour and the planet exploded. And every now and then, like maybe three times in decades somebody would have like a, a passing remark re- like referencing the fact that mosaic happened or there was a mosaic w- world once or whatever. And now not only has not only has Jeffrey Thorne been referencing this in I think actually was is this issue three, he's directly referenced the series tw- in two issues out of three now. this time he's expanded it, past the end of its run like i'm not even sure how to describe it like i feel like we're going to be getting resolution to not uh, i'm not sure if resolution is the right word basically for the last several decades one of the the most important runs of john stewart's entire history has been swept under the rug and everything everything that came after it never even attempted to reconcile what he was at that point with who he would be going forward. And I feel like Jeffrey Thorne is doing exactly that now because when Mosaic got referenced in the first issue, I was like, oh, cool. That's nice. That's awesome. The way it comes up in this issue, where it's actual, we're getting like a, a straight up expansion on that story in an issue that that is all about the past meeting, the meeting, the present as you're rocketing towards the future at an accelerated pace. Like, like it, I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. I don't know, but it seems to me that Jon Stewart is now in a position where he is getting shot into the future as quickly as possible while events around him are conspiring to bring back up important yet forgotten moments of his past. And I am very
0: excited by it. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's that's a positive way to see it. I I mean, you know how I feel about Jon Stewart and what they've I've I've said it a billion times, even back when we were co-hosting this thing together a bunch of times. It's just like I feel like all they ever do with Jon Stewart is just reference his past over and over and over again. And while it's good to see um, him, you know, them building a bit on this mosaic stuff, I see it as a different like sort of okay we're mentioning the the his guilt and everything over katma again but also i almost see is you know in a positive way i almost see this is also jeffrey thorne taking a moment to reference his past and then immediately say i'm over it because we get this scene with katma then he grabs her by the throat and says that's not my wife she's dead you know all this stuff like essentially like I buried her. I mourned her three times. I'm done. I kind of, I kind of like that. Like it, it irritates me at first that we see Katma because I'm like, Oh, here we go again. It's, it's the same old trope. you know, we've got to have him guilty over Zanshi or guilty over uh, Katma or ABCD. We got to just cycle through all this shit again and again and again, every time we tackle John. So it's like Jeffrey Thorne did that to me for a second and then went, Nope, he's over it. <laughs> We're good. So in a way, I, I, while you take that positive about potentially building on Mosaic from that scene, from that same scene, I take something a bit different. Well, that's the thing, right? Because you mentioned Zanchi. And I would like, I would
2: call Zanchi and Mosaic the two most most pivotal, pivotal and character-defining moments of Jon Stewart's history. One of those was ignored outright and the other of them was double triple quintuple down on to the point that whoever who could want to see it referenced ever again and like i'm at, like like everything that you've wanted to see out of this character to make you like him better happened in that series like i don't remember if you read the series maybe you didn't like it that's fine but like that took that those 18 issues took the character of Jon Stewart and painstakingly crafted him into a different, better, more fully realized person. And then all of that was literally thrown away. So if if it wasn't, if that became the new baseline for the character, there is no telling who he could have been today. And the fact that You know, if 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 the one of the big hooks of Infinite Frontier is that, okay, all continuity counts again, everything that happened happened, if they can use that to reincorporate the development that he had in Mosaic and bring it forward somehow and just advance Jon Stewart and just kind of stop leaning so hard on one aspect of him over and over again and make him into the fully realized person that he had the potential to be and actually had been, had started to be realized as like that, like if it almost feels like getting a second shot at something that was lost a long time ago, which, you know, maybe, maybe that's a, Maybe maybe that's why they show Katma like a good memory he had with her that we never saw before. It's not really to not even so much as to show that, Oh, he's not over her or he is over her or whatever. But just the fact that, that at that point in his life, he did like coming to terms with losing her is one of the big things that series had was working up to. And the fact that she was there at all at the end meant something different than, than just a cameo by itself
1: yeah mark well looking at dan could be onto something about the time that would actually make more sense because we were that's one of the things that never made sense about future state the idea that oh how the hell could it take place that far into the future especially if they're connecting the dots to try to give us a version of it now how is that possible when we know that no one's going to be reading this book if it takes (laughs) if you're going to be doing 10 years in normal continuity time to kind of or to even get close to, you know, the events of, you know, the 14 years in the future that where we we kind of like dropped into before. So I think that's that's pro- a very strong possibility. That's that's true. I don't necessarily know 100. I guess because of the daughter, because of Elo. I guess it, it adds again, assuming, which is a big assumption, that everything that we saw in Future State is would connect seamlessly and not have variations like they did with uh, Future's End, where they teased, oh. The, the, they teased, oh, all these things that we saw in features end were going to happen. They kind of like gave us curveballs, and and none of them, and none of them played out the same exact way. And so maybe the Elo being around would kind of like assuage part of me that has doubts about Sakari, but she's just so blatantly manipulating his and playing games in his head that in a, you know she is violating him on some basic level. I mean, you can make the case that she's doing it to try to wake him up out of his coma or whatever, but that's she's you know she is playing games she and she's not just being a passive you know being a viewer she's not just being passive in there she is at being active and she's manipulating these memories and changing them and taking liberties uh to get points across at different times so i don't know if i'm 100 percent as sold on whether she is not there's, there's not a negative aspect to her character that we don't know even to be fair even if the daughter is innocent it still doesn't mean that the mother doesn't have some there's something with the going on with mother but i i'm not 100 percent ready to sign off on oh i think that the mother at least is sakari is a 100 percent ally based on just reading the story
2: i'm not i'm i don't think there's anything malicious about her i think when you're dealing with a presumably a race of telepaths or what do they call them? Chemopaths or whatever. Yes. Yeah, so it was chemo. The, then, 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 issues like, like, you know, consenting to go into each other's minds is pro- probably works differently for their society than it would for us. You know, I think there's, um, so, uh, you know, Mark's favorite book, Legion of superheroes plays with this idea. Some, because like, you know, Saturn girl comes from a planet where everyone is, telepathic so for her the idea of invasion of privacy she has to kind of learn what that means because like okay i've never been around people that couldn't do this why would anyone get upset about this um and i think like yeah there there are there are like the weird mishmash of past and present in that dream but i just took it as like yeah it's it's a dream it's a weird dream he was having while in a coma after almost suffocating in the vacuum of space, he's, he's been out for for weeks. And also there's a telepath poking around. So, like, it's it's just a weird jumble in his head. I don't I don't think she was manipulating what she was seeing. And in fact, she changed channels a couple times to try and
1: see something closer to true. But I think she was doing that to reach him. To try to get whatever whatever her point was, if her point was just to wake him up and make and to snap help snap him out of what he was doing. I think that's why she was basically switching channels. If something didn't work, then she moved on to something else to try to connect the dots to get Jon Stewart back online, essentially. So I so you could be correct. You could be correct that she wasn't really that she wasn't manipulating him in a negative way. But she certainly was playing fast and loose with his memories with a goal in mind. She was not an act. She was an active participant. She wasn't just a voyeur and watching things play out. I'm trying to find
2: the panel because I know I'm pretty sure she said somewhere in here.
1: Uh... When she when he first wakes up about the dream bubble.
2: Oh, no, no, here it is. OK, so he says you were in my head. She said not too deep just to get a sense of you. You're so basically uh, uh, you're some kind of space cop. Yeah, you seem decent. Uh, You can stay with us until you get on your feet. So basically they found some stranger who's a species she's never even seen before. She needs to see if it's dangerous to have this guy around her kid. So she's, she links up to his head, pokes around him in his memories to try and see, okay, who is this? What kind of person is this? Is this guy a threat or can I trust him? Should I wake
1: him up or leave him? Yeah. I mean, you're pr- you're probably right. I'm just I'm just not 100% sold on or sure that I would dismiss the idea that she's got some potential ul- ulterior motives going on.
2: I think you're just jealous that you couldn't look that good in, in dreadlocks, is what it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, another interesting aspect of this is the kunori, because everything else we've seen in this oh. <laughs> this dark sector or whatever has been um has been unfamiliar, uh, planet name, species, so on and so forth. And then the Kenoris show up, interestingly enough, in the same in the same space. So they had to have gotten here, or maybe they were already here. But at the very least, they're familiar with this space, which is interesting. Like, if they weren't already here, how did they get here? How did they navigate it? Because we know, at the very least getting here is hostile to ring constructs and this is not just any construct this ship was created by thousands of lanterns at the same time uh maybe raw materials work better in the space and maybe that's how the kanori got here but there's there suggests something different because <coughs> later on when the kanori do, do show up he says they're pirates gun runners and slavers but mostly they're bullies we've been shutting them down hard for decades. Trust me, one look at me will scare the living pants off of them. So it, it makes me think these guys are just chicken, you know, like, you know, but somehow they got into this sector. Somehow they're, you know, taking over this, this populace and trying to take over this populace in some way. And then the minute the first green lantern shows up, that's supposed to, according to john just scare the pants off of them by being there they immediately shoot him down and say go get me that ring um so that's interesting but you know who knows maybe they know the lanterns are offline we again the timeline screws everything up here
2: yeah and like the like the there's so many questions raised by just them being there like you said like i mean are they connected to whoever built the barrier? Do they have a safe way in and out of it, or were they just passing through when the, the walls got put up? And in which case, does that mean they've been in there for a thousand years or a hundred years or whatever it was? If so, are these even the the same generation of Kunari? Like like have they have they been building themselves up into something more threatening and more formidable because because like a whole mess of them got in the barrier as it was being constructed and they've had generations to build their strength and resources.
0: Yeah. Uh pivoting over to the Joe stuff, because I think we're (coughs) unless I'm wrong, I think we've gotten everything done with the John stuff. Um, I think so. We've got Izamat, that's Iolande. Is that Kyle? Is that Omega Man equipment? I I don't know about the equipment that I think
2: that's Kyle though.
0: Yeah. I mean he was in Vega which we all know the implications of what that meant. That uh, that's a... there's a lot of like, like for
2: as much as people are are complaining that like, oh man, I wish they would do stuff with the other the other Human Lanterns. Like, there's there's so much cool stuff set up for enough of these characters that like, whenever it it whenever they pull the trigger trigger on it, it's gonna be awesome. Like we already know they're going to start paying off the uh, Jessica Sinestro core thing in the annual
0: in I think August was it? Yeah, we haven't we haven't talked about that on the show guys, but if you haven't been paying too attention to DC solicits, uh mm-hmm. then the you know the issue of Green Lantern that's solicited in there shows the Sinestro core going up against Joe and then the annual shows Jessica wearing a Sinestro core ring, ring. So
2: a- and, it's, and that annual is by the exact same creative team that did Jessica's story in Future State Green Lantern. So it, it's basically they're going to be able to do what I'm assuming is a continuation of that once we catch up to that point. Or maybe they'll redo a different version of it. I don't know. But I'm very happy because I I loved that story and the potential it had. and And I know exactly when I'm going to see more of it. And with Kyle here, like I I don't even remember where I said it before. It was here or on one of my videos or whatever, but Kyle being in Vega, like yeah, not only does he have the um, his history with the Omega Men, which you know, the Omega Men for Kyle is is in the same neighborhood as Mosaic for John as far as I'm concerned. So revisiting that makes me incredibly happy. Vega is also where Larflees lives. And if I'm Kyle Rayner and I know I know what it means when all the rings die, I'm gonna want to try and either get out there and find some people or get to Oa, but I'm not gonna want to go there unprepared. Man, if only if only I, Kyle Rayner, knew how to use every color ring, and also there was a planet nearby with like A cave full of, like, piles and piles of orange rings. If only that were happening. But, I mean, I, being Kyle Rayner, couldn't just storm in there by myself. I would have to, I would need some sort of, like, radicalized strike team to help me out. If only, if only Kyle Rayner had history with some sort of, uh, I don't know, Omega-themed, just... The potential here is amazing, and I want it so much, and when it does come oh my god
0: i'd just be shocked somebody finally remember there's a pile of orange rings on that planet because some people have treated a lot of people have treated it like the, the ring that Larfleaves wears is the only one i don't think we've seen the pile of rings since agent orange it Maybe it might not. have shown up in the Larfleaf series maybe but i don't think i remember seeing it maybe
2: but i mean at the same time this if any book was going to do it i believe this run of this book will because i mean we just finished having a conversation about the 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 freaking kunari raiders the like the only thing they've ever done was was like destroy the home world of the main character of the dark stars series that nobody read like this book is is making so many deep pulls that i don't think anything's off the table
0: And that's interesting, paralleling to Morrison's run, which also made deep pulls, but at least these were ones that we feel a little bit more, I don't know, maybe maybe they're not equivalent deep pulls, but it just feels like the references in here are a little more appreciated and a little more part of the story and a little more leaning towards where things could go. Than the random pulls from Morrison's run that expected you to pick up A B C or D, and then it's just like it didn't really go anywhere. G was just referencing that for the hell of it.
1: Yeah, they're not as blatant. Like pat myself in the back for for knowing this, or for or, or for doing the research enough to find this <laughs> obscure thing that almost no one will know about, and throw it in just so like, ha, you won't know what this means, but I do. <laughs> well, with the Morrison references, you
2: got the feeling that that he felt the fact of the reference itself was enough of justification for the reference whereas Thorne's references they feel like signposts to where the story could go like yeah. it like Morrison would have put Kyle in Vega and then just winked at you and never done anything with it again Thorne put Kyle in Vega and I fully believe we're going to get awesome badass Kyle Vega stuff from it <laughs> I think it also helps that the references that they're they're making a lot of them go are just going back to the 90s, which is far enough back that that people like us will remember them, but there's tons of people who don't, or like people that maybe started reading with the Johns Run or or one of the later runs and never went back that far, so it has a, it has that kind of like that same effect of like we're pulling something old and it's going to be awesome and like like really dig in there without coming off as this like super obscure like like you need to know you need to just have memorized an issue of flash from 1964 otherwise you're never going to rem- understand this green lantern villain today
0: that's true i like that both uh john and simon get guns in this issue
2: oh, oh okay you want to talk about something that i hate as much as you hate the art so simon has a lineup so i i, I actually let me correct mark from the, the the summary at the top there he doesn't have a cyborg cyborg arm his art like his ring blew up or something when the battery blew that is literally like a metal cast
1: no, I, I I said I think I said that it was he, that it was healing. I think I, I, if not, then I, I I was aware of it. I thought I said that temper that maybe I just said temporarily, but that's what oh, it meant if I did. Yeah, I know I know that's okay. not it's not permanent. It's it's basically while he's healing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So like his his physical his flesh and blood arm is underneath that glove, but it can it can grow guns for some reason. Whatever that's fine. It's useful. It's nice. He has this line that says he always always thought my ring might crap out on me someday figured I'd need some backup as if to say like, yeah, I was right all that time for carrying a gun with me. Let's completely forget all of the character development, like literally all of the character development from his, his series with Jessica over those years. And what a big moment it was when he took the gun out and handed it to Batman because he wanted to get rid of
0: it. Excuse me, me, Mr. Kurtzky. Do you mean the only character development we got of Simon Bass <laughs> during that uh, run?
1: I wouldn't it's say correct. that. Which was which was also just to another a shit like a shameless plug to say oh to justify simon oh he's now he's batman's green lantern the only green lantern he batman or can deal with but you've gotten that crap over and over and over we're, again, so keep we're never gonna win this fight with dan we,
0: <laughs> i mean it's just it's not gonna happen
2: let <laughs> me refer let me refer to you to a helpful reference material i think i believe it's called simon baz self-doubt and cultural fear it's on this like really cool youtube channel you should check it out
1: um <laughs> Well, just not Mosaic Comics. We'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding.
2: And I, I hate the fact that, see, I and like the the thing that I hate the most about this is I don't know who to be mad at because I want to be like Parmy wants to be like, man, Thorn is doing so much to make me happy in the story. Why did he screw up with Simon right here? But then at the same time, I'm like, well it's, it's technically Dan Jurgens' fault because he wrote the last arc of that, of the uh, Simon and Jessica book in which he, he ended that series in the worst way a human being could and completely undermined all of it. And so like, okay, so, so, so Thorne was actually just kind of picking up with simon's status quo as it was at the end of that series but you didn't have to so i'm just mad at everybody about this because it's just it's it's the one moment in this issue that just felt like straight up character regression when everything else has given me the the like the strong feeling of we're going to look backwards as a way to move forwards and this just felt like we're just gonna actually move backwards
0: Dan, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Joe in this in this particular issue, where <laughs> where she's at? I mean, obviously, guys, just to let you guys know, we'll we'll have Dan on for Far Sector, but uh, the finale. Um, but uh, you know, until that point, it's uh, safe to say Far Sector is one of Dan's favorite things in a while. So yep. uh, since you're so invested in the character of Joe. Uh, how do you feel about her portrayal here?
2: You know, I've always I've been conflicted about the idea of Joe continuing on past Far Sector because there's always been like like you said, it's been like one of my my favorite Lantern runs in a long time. And there is always that feeling of like, you know, as long as N.K. Jemison can wrap up her story well enough that it will exi- it could exist as this this not perfect, but like this, this, this one great thing over here off by itself. And if Joe never continued past that, then there would never be an opportunity for someone else to come along and ruin the character. And even that's like, like a loaded, unfair phrase. Like you can't really ruin the character. You can tell best stories with them. But I'm so I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that the Sojourner Moline in this book feels like the same person we're reading about in Far Sector. It's not it, it's not identical to Jemison's take on her, but just like the confidence she carries herself with, the the attitude towards authority, it's like it feels like Joe and it feels like she's she's trying to walk a line between being cooperative and being rebellious that other character other lanterns probably wouldn't be either be able to, or even think to try to. Um, and I, I'm really, I think it's cool that she's kind of building a ragtag team to go solve a mystery with. I think, I I mean, the Simon getting pseudo Voldarian guns out of it is kind of like a, a, possible misfire, but Simon, Kelly and Joe, just just I, I wouldn't have thought to put that group together. And I mean, so far, so good, I think.
0: My only problem with it is it feels like she's taking charge a little too easily. And what I mean by that is like, not that she shouldn't, it's just like, it feels like that she had some unease, some self-doubt in Sparsector Sector about what she was doing there, why she was there, a the whole thing. Now that could have just been like unfamiliar territory in terms of not really you know, these people don't have emotions and, you know, not really understanding the situation and this sort of the, the, the history of this alien race and everything. And all of a sudden she comes in here and she's like, you know, we're going to do this, this, this and this and we're going to get this done. It just feels a little I don't want to say off because it seems like it seems like it would be in character for her in a lot of respects, but it just seems like so much so soon. I don't know. Maybe I guess. I mean, we haven't seen the finale of Far Sector, so you know, maybe what happened there taught her to trust herself and just like let her, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm gonna if I don't take charge, nobody will. Kind of a thing, and just sort of slide in where she's needed. Um, but it did. It does feel sort of off to me. I'm, but obviously, I'm having some trouble defining what that actually is.
2: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, I will say the Far Sector has has shown us that she will kind of try and step up like this even when she is falling apart on the inside. Um we don't get nearly as much inside of her head though in this in this issue as we're used to seeing getting in her own book. Um I think it's also possibly a function of of um just the pacing of the story because um like we remember like we've been following John and everybody for like the, for two issues before Joe showed up at the very end of issue two. It's like, she's been on, I think she was on pay, on panel for like one or two pages last time. So this is really like, I think you, you commented on how it was a whole lot of Joe setup in this issue. That's because she's just got here. <laughs> like yeah. this is, this is her, like we need to just get in there. We have 10, was it 10 pages to establish, okay, here she is. Here's who she is. Here's what she's doing and why. Here's who, the people who are around her who are going to be helping out. Here's her commitment to the United Planets. Here's her sending out the broadcasts. Here's her theory. Here's how she's thinking about the, the battery blowing up. It's It's a very utilitarian section in this issue. And I feel I would expect that to ease off next time just because we've now we're up to speed
1: with her. Like she has caught up with the rest of the book now. Yeah. I think it's, it's just, it seems I'm trying to phrase this the best way. It might seem forced or unnatural because essentially it is forced and unnatural. She has no ties to the core. She has no ties to Ola as far as we know. I mean, we know she got a ring from a guardian, but I mean, there's nothing to it that's established any ties. I'm going, you know, to, to the guardians and the core. And we understand why her ring functions. So that's not up for debate why her ring would still be online, but the idea that she's writing in to save the day, she's writing in to save the day because they chose to give her, to basically force her into that role. They could justify it to a certain extent because that her ring is functional and you are, you have very, I mean, but, they, but again, this whole, it's all being structured based on the, the concept. You could you could make the case. The story, the characters they want to focus on are dictating the story more than the other way around. You could make that case. They want to focus on John. They want to focus on Teen Lantern. They want to focus on Joe. The best way to do it is to create a scenario like they're doing now, where you don't have you have two of the three that don't get their ring power from the central power battery. So, I mean, so I'd seems to me I think that's what the issue is for some people. It seems like. That it's being forced because this is the, this is either the story they want to tell, or more specifically, these are the characters they want to focus in on, and that's what's and that's what's going on.
2: Uh, well, well, I think it's a mix of the two because I mean, obviously, you know, you're gonna gravitate towards the characters that you prefer to write. And that's why Jeffrey Thorne is writing a John Stewart story, but also like it seems like a natural fit to bring both Kelly and Joe prominently into this particular story because they're wild cards essentially like if you have if there is some grand plot to to kill all the green lanterns in the universe at once and suddenly these there's two that are still flying around at full power what what's that mean what's going on there and like the it it allows both of them like both of them are like it are intensely fish out of water in spaces that would normally be perfectly comfortable for literally anyone else with these powers and i think again i think that's on purpose because that allows for that allows the story to go places it couldn't if instead of joe this was guy or kyle or somebody because she inherently does not know what to do because she's like, she's never even set foot on Oa before she has to solve the mystery of why it exploded. <laughs> and I, 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 I don't know. I, it's funny. There's mm, no, so, hold off my thought.
0: No. So like, I, I, I think, I, I think Mark helped solidify some of my own thoughts there. I think I agree with him. She has no ties to the core. This to me, this would be like Kyle getting the ring and then immediately setting off to bring back the core in some way, shape, or form. But with Kyle, it's like, okay, you know, I kind of vaguely know who Green Lantern is, and then he, you know, hears about it and, and through through knowing and the tutelage of like Alan and his relationship with John and guy. And then, you know, you know, how at some point, whether it's Hal as parallax or how later on as the specter, like he gets to know an Emerald nights, Hal too. Emerald nights, how as, as well, like he gets to see what the core is and what the core means to the universe and what it could mean before he starts getting obsessed with the idea of bringing back the core. Whereas Joe, has this ring this one interaction with this one guardian like you said never set foot on oa has this one mission which threw her into the shit uh with no backup and no help no anything like that uh we don't know how it ends so let's leave that you know a set aside but then comes in and immediately takes charge and one of the things she says is you know we're gonna bring all the lanterns back even if they're dead like we're gonna bring the the bodies back which could lean to kind of like she has a cop background, so you know, like the the whole thing that it's a big trope on TV shows and stuff. You know, you killed one of ours. You know, we're we're fiercely loyal to our our crew here. We're gonna we're gonna bring everybody back. We're gonna make sure everybody gets, gets proper burial. Sort of a you know, leave no man behind sort of a situation. But again, like she she doesn't have a tie to this unit the way she would with maybe her own unit on Earth. So it's like it feels a little out of place, or maybe. St- uh, this is might be too tough of a word, but a little insincere in some ways. Um, I'm not discounting it. I'm not saying I won't enjoy seeing where she goes from here. It just seems, you know, again, knowing that we don't know what happens in the final <laughs> issue. The, the moment that issue 12 ends and the moment that this stuff picks up, it feels <laughs> like there's a disconnect somewhere between the two, uh, which wouldn't make sense with what Joe says because it makes it seem like after that conflict is over, she was already on her way back to Oa.
2: Yeah. No, I get what you mean. But at the same time, how much of a connection did she have with the population of the city enduring? You know, she she showed up and, and did the job. And I think in, in this case here, like the fact that this is a, a cripplingly devastating thing to happen to the Green Lantern Corps and she is put in the position of being... Is basically the last Green Lantern. A lot of responsibility just automatically gets piled onto her shoulders, whether she wants it or not. And and she, we know we know we know from Far Sector that if she's got to do something, she is going to do it her way. Damn it! Don't you tell her that. Oh, we expect to get. We expect to recover at least you know, 30% of uh, of the lanterns that are lost out there. No, 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 no. You're going to get all of them. And if you can't get all of them, you tell me where you looked and I'll go get them.
0: All right. Anybody have anything else to say about either side of uh, part one or part two of this issue? I don't know. I don't know. Is,
2: is the health is house ring special from the Morrison run? Because I think future state said like cyborg built a thing that amplified the, the, leftover will juice or whatever
1: was in there well you could so you could so, make it
0: so, yeah house house ring is still special from the venditti run
1: that's i was gonna say you could make it you could make a case that house ring is special for multiple reasons number one he built it himself from from willpower oh, and yeah. be, because we because it's not 100 it was not 100 i think firmly established that his his relationship with the ring and the AI that he was in their you know buddy buddy relationship, and that was just entirely because of all the stuff with Mirror Witten and after or what because don't forget the the Guardians made the whole point of they were changing the way the I the AI worked with the with the central power battery too. So we don't That's know, right. So we don't know how much of that was because of something that happened in the Morrison Run, or or basically it was something to do with how they rewired the programming to. And Hal and his ring, maybe because it, his ring was different because of being forged at a willpower, they just had they basically were able to uncover in that little bonus option faster than other lanterns were. They were, and maybe the Mirror Widden thing helped, you know, helped loosen the if there were boundaries preventing that from happening. But yes. I think House Ring being special is would still would still be consistent not just with what we saw in Future State, but what we saw in where we think we were at the end of Venditti's run and even through probably the Morrison run. So Yeah, right, bottom
0: yeah. line it bottom line, it doesn't matter. I mean if you okay. Yeah, all all you have to know is that it's special. I, I honestly doubt that they would elaborate on why House Ring is special. I mean, it's, he might he might pay attention to that detail, but at, regardless of whether if you read the Morrison run, you could be like, oh, it's because of this. If you read the Venditti run, it could be oh, because of this. True. Or you could just be it's fucking Hal, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. that's right. I forgot my the, my favorite part of the Morrison
2: run was when Hal's ring realized it could put in for vacation time and did. Maybe yeah. none of the ring, maybe none of the rings shut down. Maybe they just all went on vacation.
1: Now, didn't Kyle, after Kyle, quote unquote, died, he, he got he got his original he got his original Green Lantern ring back. When Blackest Night? Yeah, I think so. And then what Mogo was holding on the to his Green Lantern ring when he was a White Lantern?
0: I don't know. Uh, this sounds like a video idea for Dan Kertzke. Just, be, just the...
1: because if Kyle's if Kyle's ring is still Kyle's original ring, then he should he should have had backup power because that's how he redesigned it when he gave up the ion power.
2: Well, so Kyle's Kyle's ring when he became a White Lantern, it changed. It morphed into the White Lantern ring. But then when Doctor Manhattan, you see, when he s- <laughs> he got rid of the White Lantern, he split Kyle's ring into like seven rings that were all the colors. But but one of those was green, and that was that's still technically his original ring, but. Also, technically, only one seventh of his original ring, I guess, because (laughs) because all of it, like all those pieces, and those
1: shouldn't actually have existed as other rings, and we don't know where those rings went either. I'm thinking when Kyle's Kyle became when Kyle became Ion the the second time, I think his ring supposedly was on Mogo, something like that. Oh, that that's what I'm thinking it was because which is why when they when uh they pulled parallax when they pulled the eye out of him, he was in, he was butt naked because he didn't have any, he didn't have any power.
0: I was uh, half- hitting, but It does sound like an interesting video idea. Tracing the, yeah. the history of, of the ring. How many rings has Hal Jordan worn? When was it? Where were they destroyed or vice versa? Kyle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes some of those are crazy. I mean, God, God, have you ever tried to trace the history of the ring? He gave Jade. That thing has gone on a crazy journey. I think actually it just, it was the ring that John had, except it got destroyed in uh, uh, Justice League, the uh, the the Ultraviolet Lantern story. Oh wow. That start that's the ring that started as the copy Hal gave Kyle from the past.
1: The Emerald, yeah, the last that issue of Emerald Knights. And then
0: with yeah. Hal's ring, you got to take into account the Malvolio stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep, that too.
0: And the
2: fact that like it, it, it got lost in the ocean, and then it washed up in Gotham, and Anarchy had it for a while, then Kyle okay, got it first. back, and, and he gave it to Jade once, but then fatality exploded, then he gave it to Jade again, and he tried to use it pro- to propose marriage, so of course she said, no, you idiot... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a whole thing. Sounds and, like Dan already he, got the they, video. I did scripted out halfway. And then he gave it to John, not to marry him, but what a you know maybe they can make it work. I don't know. They're kind they, of you know, <laughs> they haven't spent too
1: much time together. <laughs> I like the I still have I think those anarchy issues somewhere. I kind of like that story. All
0: right. Uh, so if nobody has anything else to say, uh, I guess Dan Mosaic Comics, tell us what you're up to, man.
1: Listen, if
2: there was ever one month to check out my channel it's this june because like a crazy person i decided to load it up with as much stuff as i could think of so on the first of the month this is already up there green lantern roundup for may 2021 it's it's an 18 minute just rundown of all the Green Lantern stuff that either came out or was announced. Every, all forms of multimedia, whether you're talking about video games or TV casting or comics or original graphic novels, Funko Pops. Chad's your eyes perked up when I said Funko Pops.
0: Woo-hoo! Oh as we're recording this,
2: <laughs> as we're recording this, tomorrow, my review of Green Lantern number three comes out. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, you know, I like it, but I wish there was only one of them and there was some soothing music behind it. <laughs> that's what you can find then there. Uh, next up after that, I'm going to be taking a look at, at the storyline running through. The just the Justice Doom War in Justice League, Green Lantern 80th Anniversary Special, DC Infinite Frontier Zero, and DC Pride Number One to see to take a good hard look at how they are doing with their second round of making Alan Scott come out as gay because it was an abject failure the first time when they did it with New 52 Earth Two, but this time seems to be going pretty well and i want to dig into exactly what they're doing how and why they're doing it and just why would they try this again uh a few days later hey guess what it'll be exactly 10 years to the day since the ryan reynolds green lantern movie hit theaters and you know i have at least 11 minutes worth of stuff to say about it oh yes after that, there is a, I've got a, a fairly comprehensive crash course on the history of Jade and Obsidian just in time for them to become relevant to the larger DC universe again, going into Infinite Frontier, which, oh, by the way, then I'm going to start covering Infinite Frontier because Jade, Allen, and Obsidian are all looking like they're going to have a significant part to play. And that's June. That's just June. So if any of that sounds like fun to you, go and subscribe. Hit that bell so you'll get notified when these come out. And if you try some, you like them, maybe watch some more. Maybe tell some friends, some comic-loving friends about the channel.
0: Yeah. If you're ever sick of us being negative all the time, <laughs> so, just kidding. No, we're not, we're just honest. Uh, I, just, uh, I just, I just, which isn't to say that Dan's not, it's just, Dan, I think you've always tried to be a little bit more positive spin on everything because I don't know, maybe you just don't want to deal with, with uh, being stuck in the the shadows all the time. Um, but yeah, Dan's always been sort of the, the voice of reason for the lantern fans. So if you're looking out for that, that's, that's where I go. That's why I go to Mosaic because, frankly, we cover a lot of the same stuff, honestly. Uh, and, you know, having podcasted with Dan for years, you know, it's not like I haven't discussed with him in person, well on air, some of the very things he talks about on that YouTube channel. So it's not, it's not new to me, but it's, it's uh, it's nice to, to hear the uh the positive side or the, the more optimistic side at the very least of uh, some of the stuff that maybe I personally don't like.
2: And there's nothing, it's weird to say, but there's nothing inherently wrong with negativity. It's just like, I don't know, like there's enough bad shit going on everywhere that I would rather not focus on that all the time. And especially since like a lot, I think a lot of, a lot of complaints, a lot of fan complaints come from places of either, either misunderstanding or misremembering, you know, like some, like something that's that I've been seeing pop up a lot is people saying how like, how like, oh man, DC doesn't care about Hal Jordan anymore. They never, they're never printing Hal Jordan ever again. They're, they're just moved on from the character. Why, why are they doing Hal dirty like this? And I'm like, it's been, it's been two issues. The Morrison run was nothing but Hal Jordan solo stories for a year and a half. And, and he was in, one of those future state issues like it's it's he just had he and he's even still in the john in in the thorn book he's just not the main character he's still here like what are you people talking about and but like there it's just like a it's it can be easier to jump to a negative conclusion and some i think sometimes people don't either don't have have the inclination or the the knowledge base or like, and by that, I mean like lore knowledge or whatever to like put in like the effort to realize like, oh, actually this, this thing isn't actually bad. So if I can, if I can sit down and make an eight minute video telling somebody that, hey, this is pretty cool, actually, I'm going to do that because I I have a lot more fun talking about stuff that in a positive light that i like not that i won't go into in depth on negative stuff eventually i'm going to talk about that goddamn dan jurgens arc that ended uh, the simon and jessica book and that will be terrible
1: <laughs> it may so not have we... been all jurgens fault though based on because obviously they were ending the book so i don't know we don't i i think there may have been more behind that uh, i think because i think jurgens normal I think Jorgen's under normal conditions writing a Green Lantern book for any length of time probably would have given us some interesting things. So.
2: Oh yeah, no. And, and that would be fine. I, I guess my issues more come from the fact that he essentially just decided it was going to be a general Green Lantern core book instead of a Simon and Jessica book. And by the end was focusing on how Jordan is the main character instead of Simon or Jessica. And when he did focus on them, he just regressed Simon back to the point where, where none of his character development happened. So, and I'm sure there's more to it. And if I actually sit down to do that video, I will research it a
0: lot. <laughs> if you want to hear Dan go off more, wait till you get to his an- big anniversary uh, episode where he's going to be talking all about collateral damage. As a oh. big. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I'll,
2: I'll make that video, I'll save it to a USB drive, then I'll throw the USB drive in the ocean and never publish the video. <laughs>
0: uh, well, in the meantime, if anybody else wants to give us their thoughts on Green Lantern number three, Mark, how can they do so?
1: What are you, moving, Chad, as you walk further and further away from the damn microphone? <laughs> I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I'm done. I'm out of here. Uh, It's not like it was lost on Dan and I as you keep getting more and more distant. And I don't mean personality wise. I mean, literally, but, but nonetheless, lanterncast.com lanterncast at gmail.com can follow us on Twitter and Facebook hashtag geocast to locate us on both of those Apple podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, whichever platforms you listen to us on, please leave us positive reviews. And last but not least, leave us a voicemail or a text if you're so inclined at 708 Lantern and let us know what you think.
0: That's right. Dan, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. We'll have you back on in the very, very near future. Wink, wink. Uh, And uh, (laughs) We'll talk to you guys later.
1: Good night, everybody. Good night.